0: To worship. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? The Lord Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Let us worship God.
1: That's
2: Jesus was like us in all things, tempted as we are, yet without sin. In this time of Lent, we examine our conscience in order to inform it. We examine our faith in order to deepen it. We watch and we pray, as Christ would have us do, in order to recognize temptation and to spurn it. Please join in our unison prayer of confession. Gracious God, as we wander through the wilderness this Lent, we are more aware of our thirst for your presence, your love, your guidance on life's journey. Forgive us for turning away from you. Forgive our doubt and uncertainty that led us to place our faith in worldly comforts that don't run deep enough and don't last. We come to your well today. Desperate and thirsty for Christ's living water. Quench our thirst, we pray. Grant us your forgiveness and your grace. Amen. you may live. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Friends, believe this good news. In Jesus, In Jesus Christ, Christ, we, we are, are forgiven.
0: forgiven. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church of Chicago where the river is green and the snowflakes gently fall. (laughs) On this, the third Sunday in Lent, in this season when we are drawn closer to God in prayer and reflection, we hope to be drawn closer to one another as a community of faith also, welcoming one another here because God first welcomed us. As we did last Sunday, as we will do throughout the season of Lent, I invite you to turn to your neighbors, sharing with each the peace of Christ with them. And for those that are joining us online, we hope that you'll take this time on this day to let us know that you are joining us, whether via the QR code on your screen or on the link below in your video, we extend a warm welcome to you all. So, beloved, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As we look ahead in these coming weeks for other ways to build connection and community, we hope that you'll take a moment to look through the closing pages of the bulletin for a variety of ways to learn, to volunteer, and to engage in the life of this beautiful congregation. And if you're here in the sanctuary, We hope you'll take a moment to fill out the pew pads and to share those with anyone else who might be seated in your pew, as I highlight a few things of note in your bulletins. We invite you to mark your calendar for a quiet candlelit Lenten-Tazay service, which is a contemplative time of meditative song, silent reflection and prayer. This will be held later this month on Friday, March 24th at 7 o'clock p.m. in Buchanan Chapel. We also invite you to explore the opportunity to travel with Fourth Church. Whether it be the Ghost Ranch Pilgrimage of Faith and Learning trip that's coming up this May or with the choir on its choir tour to India, open to singers and non-singers alike, that will be next February. Information about how to express interest in either trip can be found in your worship bulletin, and for those who are worshiping online, you can find the link to that bulletin in the descriptive text below the video. You'll need to exit the full screen view for that. Also, in your bulletin are many other ways to connect with one another and Fourth Church, whether through a Bible study or the Women of Fourth Book Swap, a cornerstones program on cleaning waterways contaminated with plastic, not like the Chicago River, singing with the Coral Society, or any of the other ways that you will find listed both in the bulletin and on the website. And finally, we want to highlight an invitation to remember or honor a loved one with a contribution toward Easter flowers that will decorate the sanctuary and the Buchanan Chapel on Easter Sunday. And a list of individuals remembered and honored will be printed in the Easter bulletin. Further details are, of course, available in the bulletin and on our website. Please know as well that after worship today, anyone wishing to pray with one of our church's deacons are invited to a time of prayer immediately following this service in the Stone Chapel, which is to your right of the pulpit through the doors. Again welcome to worship at Fourth Church. Let us continue to celebrate God's grace through the sacrament of baptism.
3: Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of these promises, we baptize those whom God has called. For in baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. By water and the spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love peace, and justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptism as we celebrate this sacrament today. Will those of you presenting your child for baptism please stand? Do you desire that your child be baptized? Do you? Do you as their parents confess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and trust in him? Do you? Relying on God's grace, do you intend your child to be Christ's disciple, to obey God's living word, and to show God's love, do you? Will you please ask the question of the congregation? In our Presbyterian tradition, the congregation
0: as a whole takes responsibility for nurturing those baptized into the life of the church. Do you, as members of the Church
3: of Jesus Christ, Promise to guide and nurture these children by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging them to know and follow Christ and to be faithful members of Christ's church. If so, please say, we do. We do. You may be seated for a moment. Let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. And by the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ has set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. So pour out your spirit upon us and upon this water, that this font may be your womb of new birth. May Sutton and Gabriel who pass through these waters be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from fear to courage. Bind them to your household of faith. Guard them from all evil. Strengthen them to serve you with joy until the day you make all things new. To you be all praise, honor, and glory forever. Amen. Will you please present our candidates? Michael and Nicole Daniger present their child, Caroline Sutton, for baptism. You can come. So, will you let me, will you let me hold you for a minute? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Caroline Sutton, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Sutton, you have been sealed by the Spirit in your baptism, and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all oh, go ahead, go back you. Polly Toner presents her child, Gabriel Lachlan, for baptism. Hello, Gabriel. You going to let me hold you for a minute? And come and see me. All right. Oh, she's right there. I know. I know. Uh, you're okay. Gabriel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel, child of the covenant, you have been sealed by the Spirit in your baptism, and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Right. will you walk with me maybe? Let's see how this goes. And will you bring Sutton, please? Mommy can come too, okay? I wanted to introduce you all to your newest partners on this faith journey, our newest members of this congregation. So by your vows, you have promised to be with their families as they help nurture them and raise them in this tradition. You've promised to give of your resources to be Sunday school teachers, send them on mission trips, For all the children here, you've promised to be their friend. If they fall, you'll help pick them up and show them the way to Sunday school class. But more than anything else, we are delighted that the truest truth about who they are is that they are some of God's beloved ones. Amen. (laughs) There she is. (laughs) I know. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Thank you.
0: Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, our way in the wilderness, guide us by your word through these 40 days so that we may be reformed, restored, and renewed through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may we as your children say, Amen. Our Psalter portion this morning is from Psalm eight. Listen now for God's word to us. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes, to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.
4: seated and we will continue to welcome forward any children who will be attending Sunday school today. So kids, as we head up to our classrooms, I hope you'll wave hello to the newest members of our church family right here in that front pew. And so teachers, I invite you to head upstairs to your classrooms now.
3: Our scripture on this day is taken from Genesis, the first chapter. We'll skip around a bit, but we still hope we can get a sense of the rhythm and the poetry. So listen for God's living word. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day.
4: And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day.
3: And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day.
4: And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, God created them, and it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day.
3: Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to to God. God. I believe in God, maker of heaven and earth. Today is the third Sunday in our intentional communal walk through one of the most ancient and ecumenical creeds of the Christian tradition, the Apostles' Creed. And I imagine that if our children had stayed in the sanctuary for this part of the service and listened to the text, especially if they're in elementary school, had we asked them if they had any questions about it, they might have asked things like, What day were the dinosaurs created? And did they die before the humans were created just a few days later? In another few years, were we to ask them again, perhaps their questions will have become the ones the late biblical scholar Sib Towner asked in his commentary on Genesis How did God go about the work of creation? Was there a big bang? How did life begin on Earth? Did God call on an asteroid laden with amino acids or even living cells from Mars or some other corner of the universe? Is there life elsewhere in the cosmos as well? I know those questions because I began to ask them in the seventh grade. I was sitting in earth science class when I heard for the first time about this moment we call the Big Bang, and all of a sudden, in my 12-year-old mind, the claims of my faith, the words I had digested from this part of Genesis since before I could remember, seemed to start colliding with all of this new-to-me science that I was learning. I was perplexed, to say the least. And I imagine I'm not the only one who had a moment like that. Perhaps you did. Perhaps you still do. Yet those questions about the how creation came into being are never going to be answered in this poetry from Genesis. Now, you'll notice that I use the term poetry very intentionally for that is what this text is really designed to do. It's designed to be multivalent, symbolic, an act of art. As a colleague has written, Genesis 1 is not a physics lesson, and it was written before science had awakened in the mind of humanity. Genesis 1 is a bold proclamation of who is the author of the universe, the force that makes it all happen, nurturing the astonishing explosion of life on this planet and the artistry of light in the farthest reaches of space. The world is not here by chance. The universe has a purpose. That's basically what my preacher father told me the day I came home from earth science and interrogated him on what I perceived as a major battle between the biblical text and the scientific text. Shannon, he replied, the Bible's not a scientific textbook. wasn't written to tell us the how things happened, but to tell us the why and the who beyond and behind it all. Again, Towner, Genesis is a theological work in narrative form. It comes to render to us a picture of the author of our existence at work. I believe in God, maker of heaven and earth. In our Presbyterian Reformed theological tradition, when we make that claim, we are not making the claim that we are literal creationists. A literal creationist, usually a pretty loud voice in our marketplace of ideas, adheres to a literal interpretation of Genesis 1. They disregard the science of evolution and the study of geology and archaeology and believe that God brought all the earth and all the rest into being in seven distinct days. And if you ever challenge someone who adheres to that worldview, inevitably you will be told, at least I have been, that clearly you do not take the scriptures as seriously as they do. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. That was a popular bumper sticker in my own old hometown of Waco, Texas. The late author Rachel Held Evans might have also had that kind of a bumper sticker on her car when she grew up. She grew up in Tennessee as a part of the fundamentalist Christian tradition. But as she became a young adult, she experienced her own earth science existential moments out of which she realized she needed to find a way of being faithful that felt more expansive and made more room for mystery. And as she looked back on why that theological shift was such a critical one for her to make, she wrote, the problem with fundamentalism is that it can not adapt to change. When you count each one of your beliefs as essential, change is never an option. When change is never an option, you have to hope that the world stays exactly as it is so as not to mess with your view of it. For fundamentalist, literal creationists, Christianity sits perpetually on the precipice of doom, one scientific discovery or cultural shift or difficult theological question away from extinction." They are so fearful of losing their grip on faith, she concluded, they have a tendency to squeeze the life right out of it. End quote. I would add to her statement that part of what we see in here, not just in the witness of Genesis 1, but throughout the witness of Scripture is that change, creation, recreation, new creation is an important part of all the life that the one we call maker of heaven and earth has breathed into being. So when we call God the maker of heaven and earth, we are claiming that God is a God of creative power, creative activity, creator of all that is seen and unseen. For again, the gift of science is that it can help us understand more deeply the how of our material world. And the gift of our faith can help us realize more profoundly the why of it all, the why of all of us in the first place. Furthermore, the gift of our scripture through the power of God's wildly creative spirit can help us catch these glimpses of the one behind and beyond it all. So what does Genesis 1 help us glimpse about the maker of heaven and earth One insight comes from a Jewish friend of this congregation, the Rabbi Yehiel Pupko. Rabbi Pupko is a Judaic scholar at the Jewish Federation of Metropolitan Chicago, and once we were in a conversation about this particular text. He pointed out to me that from his Orthodox Jewish perspective, what I was calling the first creation narrative—there are two, by the way— was actually not written as a story about how God brought creation into being, how God was maker of heaven and earth. Rather, the beginning of creation, the actual unfolding of God's creating something out of nothing, is too awesome, too full of the sacred mystery to be contained in a story in our words, Pupko told me. From his perspective— The poetry we read from Genesis 1 is actually a story of God bringing harmony out of chaos. And that's why the seventh day, the Sabbath, was proclaimed as holy and a day of rest, the rabbi concluded. It was the first day without chaos. On the seventh day, God's creation of harmony was finally complete. Rabbi Pupko's insights help us to understand that one phrase we could mentally add to maker of heaven and earth is the phrase, creator of harmony out of chaos. Another thing we glimpse in this poetry about our maker of heaven and earth is that the Holy One does all of it through invitation. Did you hear that in the text? Then God said, let there be light. Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters. Let the waters be gathered together and let dry land appear. I could keep going, but I imagine you hear the repetition. Let, let, let. Each time God creates, God uses invitational language. And that tells us so much about the one we call maker of heaven and earth. God could have simply worked independently. And in a way that was domineering, that was about power over. But that's not how the one we call God does it. The way this poetic text reads, we see this picture of a creator who chooses both to initiate the creative process as well as a maker of heaven and earth who chooses to invite that which is created into the ongoing work of creation. Let the earth... Put forth vegetation. Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. There is this interesting dance, this interesting partnership going on. Yet God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, could have gone about the work of creation differently, working on or over. But according to the poetry of this scripture, God chooses always to work with and in Genesis 1 offers us a picture of God as maker of heaven and earth who purposefully chooses not to act alone, but only in relationship, even in relationship with us, something we would have heard had we kept reading in this text. This biblical text gives us this strange glimpse of a God who chooses divine vulnerability by involving those who are finite, those who are creature, into the whole process. But that's not all. Do you know what else we discover about the maker of heaven and earth in this text? We discover that not only is the work of creation done through invitation, but it has delight at its very core. Delight is inscribed in the very character of creation. We read how, beginning with the very first act of God's creative activity, that the maker of heaven and earth assesses what has just taken place and declares, it was good day after day, it was good, and after day six, it was very good. Yet in Hebrew, it was good does not indicate a mere kind of dispassionate evaluation. Rather, in Hebrew, the phrase it was good is meant to signal pleasure and joy. It's a phrase meant to convey delight. The kind of delight we feel, maybe not this morning, but as the days tend to grow longer again. The kind of delight we feel when we get to welcome new babies into the family of faith. The kind of delight we feel as the energy in the sanctuary and online continues to grow. The kind of delight we will feel over seeing all the different kinds of people with all their diverse colors and cultures and languages as they fill the sidewalks and the beaches here in Chicago once the first moment warmth takes hold. That kind of delight that fills our spirit in these wondrous moments is more similar to what it was good is meant to connote. And according to this story, God, the maker of heaven and earth, feels that way each day of this creation narrative, not just when God creates humanity. It was good, our text says. God delighted we can interpret. Seminary professor Bill Greenway claims that this language tells us that as God brings each creature into being, God is immediately awakened to being seized by love for what God just made. Seized by love for every creature, every created thing. God simply delights in all of it. What might happen, do you think, if every time we professed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we remembered these three glimpses that God is the one who creates harmony out of chaos, that God chooses to do God's work in a way that's invitational and vulnerable, inviting even us and all of creation to participate. And that at the core of God's very being is a delight, a seizing love for all of us and for all the cosmos. Do you think that remembering some of the gifts that emerge from the poetry of Genesis 1 could start to shift the way we picture our maker of heaven and earth? Do you think that remembering these glimpses could make our own faith more expansive, offer some more room for mystery, help loosen our grip on needing to know all the hows so we might be able to rest more deeply in knowing some of the whys? I kind of wish all our kids were still in here so that as families made their way home on this day or as you move from virtual worship to lunch, we could let them know that the one we call the maker of heaven and earth promises to keep at the work of creating until all manners of things are finally made well. That the one we call maker of heaven and earth wants them to be a part of this recreation of the world. That the one we call maker of heaven and earth absolutely delights in them. Not because of what they do, but because of who they are. And that science and faith can be partners in the conversation, not enemies. And they never have to choose one over the other. I believe in God, creator of harmony. Invitational partner, mystery defined by delight and seized by love, the maker of heaven and earth. And it is very good. Amen.
4: And now let us join together in saying what we believe, reciting together the words of the Apostles' Creed in our order for worship. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, may the heavens be joyful and the earth be glad, for your name is majestic and your glory is set for all to see in the works that you've made. And amid all of them are we, your people, the people of your very own creation, of whom the psalmist reminds us you are mindful and for whom you care. And so we are grateful. And our gratitude issues in praise and blessing, for if we remain silent, Jesus says, even the rocks will cry out for you. So today we bring prayers intercessions and appeals to your mindfulness and to your care for those in our world who are suffering in all kinds of ways today, both in intimate ways, illness, decline, death, loss, and grief, as well as all of the collective ways in which people suffer as they are assailed by the elements, by the forces of nations, banks, militaries, We entrust all of those who suffer, O God, to your care. And in so doing, we pray for the will and the commitment to relieve suffering wherever we find it, through acts of giving and advocating, as well as through acts of witnessing and listening. Be mindful as well, O God, of the city of Chicago, our church home. As we approach a mayoral election, may our city's people and institutions be led by a vision of human flourishing in this place, a vision in which public safety and human dignity for all are not opposed to each other, a vision of children as a people's most central resource, a vision of opportunity that invests in our common life more than it takes from it. God, may your care be upon all of the places where we live and where we work and where we go to school and where we rest so that these would be places where all people might thrive as you created your humanity to thrive. And hear our prayers today for the very creation that you have made, O God, its waters, its soil, its skies, As we grow ever more mindful of the changes that our way of living in your creation are affecting on it, including an altered climate that produces extreme weather that threatens the lives of entire communities, we pray that your spirit would continue to hover above your creation as in the beginning, to continue to bring order and health out of chaos and degradation, inspire and animate us as part of your creation, to be better stewards of its precious gifts, both as individual people, but more importantly, as collective actors in government and business, and yes, church, so that the creation might be healed for the sake of this and future generations. And hear our prayer for your care of your church, oh God, this congregation of Fourth Presbyterian Church and all churches everywhere today. Jesus, our head welcomes us to a kind of abiding together as your people gathered by you for worship and growth in faith and care for neighbors. And so abide with us as we abide in the world that our neighbors and our pew mates and all who are gathered under the banner of church would know your presence in our lives as much and as well as we know anything. Strengthen our witness to the good news of your gracious welcome to all make us bold To follow you in the way of Jesus, joyfully, with delight, humbly, into the future that you have for all of us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, praying as he teaches us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, giving is an act of creation. For what else was God doing in making the heavens and the earth and giving God's very own self to it, God's very breath, God's very spirit. So in our worship, we give as an act of creation our giving creates ministries that raises up young people and then that supports those well on in, in their years it creates ministries and programs that feed our neighbors as well as those who are far from us victimized by disasters During this season of Lent, we're participating in our denomination's One Great Hour of Sharing offering, which supports both our local work of our Meals Ministry and our Social Service Center, as well as the work of the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. You can designate a gift to that offering using the envelopes that are in the pews or using the information that is in the church bulletin. Our morning offering will now be taken. Thank you. Let us join together in prayer and dedicating our offerings. Let us pray. God of all creation, receive these gifts we have to share, that our world might be recreated in your image, the image of abundance for all, through Christ our Savior. Amen.
3: world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good. Return no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you and keep you. May God, make God's face to shine upon you. May God make God's face to shine upon you. May God be He gracious. May God be gracious. And give you peace forever and ever.